I'm glad they showed up before I spoke, not after you. <laughs> hey, I hope you had a great day yesterday. Wasn't yesterday beautiful outside? Oh, man, it was great. And uh, we're looking forward to the next few weeks. Appreciate you being here for the start of this new series as we talk about our talk. You know, because we love to talk, don't we? And we've got sports talk, news talk, TED Talks, talk radio, talk TV. We talk trash, we talk politics, we talk the weather. Saw a stat that said one-fifth of all our time is spent talking. And that doesn't include how much we talk to ourselves. Which for some of us is a lot. And based on the average number of words people say, our talk, if it was put into book form, would make up about 66 800-page books a year. We talk a lot. And we all know sometimes it would be better if we, sometimes it would be better if we just zip it. Ever wish you had kept your mouth shut sometimes? It happens to me a lot, too much. We could all use some help with that, couldn't we? Well, think about it. There's all kinds of categories we shouldn't be saying, criticism and gossip and complaining and lying and hurtful things, things that are discouraging, things that are difficult, swearing even. We were at our oldest grandson's baseball game the other week. Um, and by the way, I didn't, you, you probably, a lot of you know, but we just had our 11th grandchild uh, born this past, past month, I guess it was. Uh, and so uh, welcome in a new part to our family. So we've got our oldest is seven, our youngest is a month old, and we've got 11 of them. So, so they're crammed in there. And you can imagine Sunday afternoons at our house. And uh, we have a good time though, but we were at Aaron's baseball game. And uh, all of a sudden, at some point, somebody in a house nearby couldn't see the guy, but you could sure hear him. He starts yelling at the top of his lungs, and it's every four-letter word you can throw out there, he's throwing it out there, I think at his neighbor. And, uh, and he's like, you blankety-blank idiot. Get that blanking dog back into your yard. Get it out of my yard. He's just, for two or three minutes, he's just going on and on. And I saw, finally he comes to an end. I'm just, and uh, Alex, our, Aaron's younger brother, was playing behind us. And he came up to me and he said, Pops, he said, I, I just heard someone say a word he shouldn't have said. <laughs> yeah. He goes, Alex says, he said, and when Alex said, he said, everything cringed inside of me. Because <laughs> I was just like, oh, no. What word is he going to throw out there? And I'm just holding on. He said, yeah, he said, idiot. <laughs> you can tell his mom's been talking to him. That, uh, uh, so relieved. You know, hopefully that's, guys, this issue is not our issue. We're not out there losing it with four-letter words. Maybe we're more like Peter, who sometimes often would talk before he thought. And if we take an honest look at ourselves, we come to the same conclusion that the prophet Isaiah did. You know, when he had that experience with God, he came to the conclusion that I'm a man of unclean lips. I've got issues with my talk. 
And, and if we're honest, we're all there, all needing change. So today, we're doing what's really an intro to the series. We're going to talk in general about the things that we say. We'll be talking about more specific areas in the coming weeks. But today we're in James 3, and before he gets into dealing with all of us, he starts out dealing specifically with people who talk publicly, teachers in the church. He says, verse 1, James chapter 3, let not many of you become teachers, my brother, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. So don't many of you become teachers. He's talking about teaching in the church, which is, by the way, a great privilege. I'm thankful to be able to do that myself. It's a humbling experience, you know, to stand before God's people with God's word and to, to try to do your best through the power of God's Spirit to explain what's there and, and, and bring it to our lives. But with that privilege comes a stricter judgment, James says. It seems a little serious, right? I mean, who wants a stricter judgment? But that's what teachers get. He's saying there's a higher standard that should keep us from taking teaching on too flippantly from doing it too flippantly. I think, think about it. If you're teaching God's word, you better take it seriously. And, and, and most people say that that stricter judgment is based on two different areas. First of all, it's based on the accuracy of what you're teaching. You better make sure that what you're saying is true and consistent with what the Bible is saying. So you got to put your time in. You got to do your best at putting your time in and and delving into what is the Bible actually saying. And you want to do your best at trying to communicate that. So all that goes into play, the accuracy of what you're teaching, and then secondly, the consistency of your life. What you're teaching and your life better match up, which is a challenge for me because my wife attends this church. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we always need to look at our life, make sure it's matching up. If you're teaching God's word, don't, and make sure that what you're teaching is correct. And so you want to spend your time. If you're uh, teaching somewhere in our church ministry, your time and effort is significant. It's important that you put that time in and then that your life matches up. He shifts in verse 2, from teachers to all of us, when he says, we all stumble in many ways. The fact is, there's a lot of ways we can fail with our talk. We always need to keep in mind, we all stumble in many ways. We've all got this problem with our talk, and it's a tough problem. In fact, if we could get this down, James tells us that we'll grow to be fully mature Christians. That's what he means when he says perfect. We'd be fully grown, spiritually mature. But the problem is, in so much of the time, we don't get it down, and it impacts our lives, and James is going to tell us how it impacts us. You notice first what he says, what we say impacts the direction of our lives. Verse 3 says, now if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, that they are so great and are driven by strong winds are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. 
so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. James is like, think about it, our tongue. It's like he gives two examples. He gives a horse's bit. Got one right here. Happened to have a few around. We all know how this thing works, right? You stick it in a... <laughs> Hecklers. <laughs> we stick it in the horse's mouth. You got a 1,200 pound animal, muscled animal. And they, Willie, you know what this is like, right? They, they want to go that direction as fast as they can go. So they're going to go that direction until you, you put a bit in their mouth. And then you can take that animal, a 1,200 pound animal, and there's one to go that way, and you can turn it that way, right? That's what James says is our, our tongue's like, our talk's like. Our life can be going one direction. Our tongue causes our life to turn completely around. Rudder on a ship, huge ship in the wind. You got two things working there that are powerful, a big ship, strong wind. And yet the captain, that ship can turn the wheel and that rudder turns and the whole ship against the size of the ship and against the strong wind can still turn it around. James is obviously making a contrast here between things that are, are, are small and things that are big. Our tongue may not seem like much. It's a small part of us. And what we say may not seem like it's a big problem. But what we say compared to our lives is important because it sets a direction. In fact, horses and ships were basically the only things that people in the ancient world steered. So he's using these common examples to point out that our talk steers our lives. And sometimes our speech, you know, it can, it can steer us for good. Some of us, we were at Pastor Mike's wedding yesterday, and, and, and basically with two words, his life changed, right? Says two words, I do. Life changed, right? It's done. Not done, but. Uh, <laughs> it changed for good. Life can change quickly, just a few words. Like when a judge says, not guilty. Life just changed. When a doctor says, Cancer-free. Life just changed. When you say, I want to follow Jesus, life changed. Those words change our direction. But so often our speech sets the direction for our lives, and it's not in a good way. The small tongue boasts of great things. It's trying to make itself seem bigger. And what that small part can do is big. Our entire lives can turn on a word. So what direction do you want to head? Where's your speech taking you? We need to have some idea what the answer to that question is because our talk sets a direction for our lives. But it not only sets a direction, it can also cause a lot of destruction. You ever have words coming out of your mouth and you know as you're saying them, oh man, this is, this is not good. 
Not good. Maybe you're saying things that are otherwise acceptable, but you're saying them in a wrong way, you know, in anger or in jealousy, or you're in, intending on hurting someone, or it's to get back or to get even. Sometimes we try to justify what we're saying by saying we're defending ourselves, but many times it's just us being self-focused, self-centered. And those words can end up ending relationships or causing a lot of pain. Whatever it is we're talking about, it can cause so much damage that James compares it to a fire. Again, in verse, at the end of verse 5, he says, so see how great a forest is set aflame by such a great fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Boy, that sounds pretty dangerous, doesn't it? Sounds pretty destructive, and it is. He compares the tongue to this fire here, and he says how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. I saw something this week. Uh, I was looking at this. Actually, that word small and the word great, thought this was interesting. It's the same word in the Greek. Small and great. It seems like it'd be the opposite, right? Actually, so it could be translated this way. It could be, say, see what size of forest is set aflame by what size of fire. And, and by using the same word, he's, he's really drawing that contrast actually even more. Let's, I mean, we've all seen the incredible fires that happen out west a lot, you know, in, the, in California and everything. They start with some small fire and, and, and then they spread and destroy thousands, thousands and thousands of acres. That's what James is saying here. He's putting them in contrast just to stress the destruction that our words can cause. Just a few words causing great destruction. I saw a study where an organization called the International Association for the Study of Pain, sounds like a fun group, um, they, they looked at this, at, at, at how um, words could affect our thinking. And they were looking at, at specifically the phrase, like someone's going to give a shot and they, and they say, hey, before they give it, this may hurt a bit. And what they realized is, as they're looking at these scans of these brains, that people's minds right then went into play. And they began to experience, have an experience that would, that, that would put their... Uh, what they called their pain matrix to work. And so they had this personal, actual feeling of pain as a result of just the words. I've got a little bit of a, uh, an experience of that on my own. Um, every little bit, every few months, I've got to go get a blood draw. See, I, a few years ago, no big deal. It's not a big deal. But a few years ago, uh, doctors s s realized I had too many platelets in my blood. So I've, I've, I got to, they, they, they monitor that and try to deal with it. And they, they want to make sure it doesn't get too high. And so I have to go get a blood draw every few months. And, and because I've been doing that a lot through the years now, um, I've become a sort of a critic <laughs> of the way they draw my blood. 
And uh, I don't tell them that, but I, I, uh, I experience different things with different people as they draw it. And, but a lot of them come up to me, you know, they're getting ready to draw the blood and they'll, before they stick the needle in, they say, just before, oh, okay, big stick. And I think, big stick? Why would you say that? Do you want me uptight? You know, what's the deal with a big stick? I, I, I did complain about it a little to my wife who's a nurse and she gives people shots a lot. And so I said, why would they say to me, big stick? And she says, well, you know, I was trying to defend the medical people, you know, she's like, well, if you don't say something to people before you stick them, they'll complain about that. They, they, don't, they want a heads up. And so she said, usually what I say is, small poke. Okay, well, I can take that. I, I, I know that's coming, but to say big stick, I, I know, I, I've had this done enough that it doesn't really bother me to have the needle put in my arm, but, but just those words are just kind of like, come on, come up with something different. But I know from that study that, in fact, people, and probably my brain, is reacting at that moment because of a few words. A few words can cause pain. A few words can end relationships. A few words can bring embarrassment. And even though all that's true and we acknowledge it, fixing that isn't so easy. James says it's a world of iniquity. Sounds pretty ugly, right? A world of iniquity, a world of iniquity, our speech, of all our parts, the tongue is the part that defiles us. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 15, 11, it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. It, it sets on fire the course of our life. The picture there is of a racetrack. It's a racetrack, we're all on a racetrack. Sometimes it feels like that, right? We're all on this racetrack and James is telling us our speech sets that racetrack on fire. Now try running a race. It's set on fire not by our speech, but it's set on fire, James says, by hell. By hell. Hell is pleased when our life is set on fire by our talk. Can't get more destructive than that. And that's why families and relationships and churches get destroyed on a regular basis by careless words. I've seen it happen, you've seen it happen. Sports writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution several years ago wrote about careless words. He um, personified those words saying this, 
I am more deadly than a screaming shell from the howitzer. I win without killing. I tear down homes, break hearts, and wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. That's the reality of the destruction that our words can bring. We've all seen it happen. We've all seen lives literally destroyed by what is said to people and about them. And for some of us, we've been right in the middle of all that destruction. James goes on then to talk about the difficulty of taming the tongue. Verse 7 says, For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Boy, this is just strong stuff. It just keeps on coming. It's all, all kinds of animals have been tamed. They've been brought under control. But no one can tame the tongue. It's unstable. It's out of control. The wording here reminds you of a, of a snake. That's exactly what the psalmist was talking about in Psalm 140, verse 3. He said, they sharpen their tongues as a serpent. Poison of a viper is under their lips. It's out of control. And no one on his own can tame it. Without God's help, we can't tame the tongue. The only way to change our speech is by our heart being changed. And the only way to have your heart changed is by the power of Jesus Christ. We can't do it on our own. And that's only... That's one reason why it's so important that we know Jesus in a personal way, because with all the other benefits that come from knowing him, all the benefits that come from knowing that our sin is forgiven, knowing that we're on our way to heaven one day, knowing that until then he is with us each and every day, knowing that he provides for us each and every day, that his love for us will never end, that his, his, his power is available for our lives so that we can do all that he's called us to do, knowing that we have all of this. And then knowing as well that he can bring the change to our lives that we need. He can change our talk. Can't do it on our own, but if we've given our lives to him, not only can he change our lives, change our talk, but there should be a change in our talk. Because as followers, we don't want to be known for the discrepancy in our lives of talking in different ways. Look at verse 9. With it, talking about our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Discrepancy, ever, ever catch yourself in this? Blessing our Lord and Father and cursing men. It's totally inconsistent. It's an intolerable inconsistency when there's a discrepancy in our talk. 
And just to stress that discrepancy, James asked three rhetorical questions, all with the obvious answer of no. Can a fountain, a spring, bring fresh and bitter water? No. Can a fig tree produce olives? No. Can a vine produce figs? No. Can salt water produce fresh water? No. And, and it should be just as obvious to all of us that as people who come together and say we're worshiping God and we're singing and we're praying and we're talking about God, that we wouldn't try to do all that and then go out of here to curse men because that shows a discrepancy in our faith. It's totally inconsistent. Something's not right. It's really a denial of the truth. John said in John, 1 John 4, verse 20, he said, if someone says, I love God, oh, I love God, I love God, I love to come and worship and sing, and I love to listen to the Bible being taught, and I love to be around, I love, I love God, and hates his brother. Well, I don't really hate him, I just don't want to be near him. I don't really hate him, I just don't want to talk to him. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Can't do that. If you've got a problem with someone, say somebody in this room, or someone in your family, or someone at your workplace, and you go out talking about them or talking at them, that's inconsistent with someone who knows Jesus. It should throw a big red fly out to us to check where we're at with God. If you've got a problem with another believer, you have a responsibility, a biblical responsibility, not to talk about them, but to talk to them and get it straightened out. Our talk sets a direction for our lives. It can cause destruction, terrible destruction. It's not an easy fix, it's difficult. But to live with the discrepancy of what we believe and what we say is totally unacceptable. So how's your speech going? What's your talk been like this past week? Does it help or does it hurt? How about your social media account? Does it help others? Does it hurt? Does it bring more division or does it bring healing? Is your talk a benefit to God's kingdom? Imagine if by the grace of God, your words built up instead of tearing down. Imagine if by the grace of God, you assumed the best of others and your words reflected that. Imagine if by the grace of God, your words refreshed 
rather than ignited a flame. Imagine if by the grace of God, your words brought life rather than death. Imagine if by the grace of God, your words brought unity instead of division. Because all that you can imagine about all that is exactly what God intends to happen in our lives. Here's what I'd ask you to do. As we get ready in the next few weeks and talk about this area of talk, and we get into the specifics in the weeks ahead, there's a verse in the Psalms, Psalm 19, verse 14. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As we get ready in these weeks ahead to talk about our talk, my challenge to you is this. Would you, would you memorize that verse? It only takes a couple of minutes. Memorize that verse and make that verse your prayer over the next few weeks. And let's see what God can do in changing our talk. It's, it, it, it's such a sad situation to see families broken over talk such a sad situation to see lives broken because of talk. Friendships destroyed because of what someone said. God wants something different from us as his children. Would you memorize that verse with me? Again, take a couple minutes, put it to heart, and pray that verse over the next few weeks. Let's see what God does. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that we know you can change this area of our lives. You've got the power to do it, and we know that's your will. So, Father, we ask that you do that in our lives. God, that, that the words of our heart, of our, of our mouth, and the meditation of our heart, Father, would be acceptable in your sight. God, that we would um, use our mouth to build others up and to uplift your name. Help us to represent you well in this world, in the area of our speech. We love you. We want our speech to reflect that.
Father, if there's issues between us and anyone else, family, church-wise, friendships, God, help us to get those situations right, to use our mouth, to ask for forgiveness, to accept forgiveness, to offer forgiveness. to honor you with our lives. We love you again, Father. Pray you'd bless now as we close this service this time. In Jesus' name, amen.